Don't you can't eat that. <laughs> Ratio podcast. I am GR Mom, as always, joined by GR Dad. As most of the time. Hi. And today we're going to talk about fostering dogs and kind of what the process is like. And first, we're going to start with cocktail of the week. And I'm sorry, we're not exciting. We just wanted more margaritas, which we've talked about before, so we had more margaritas. Tequila, Cointreau, lime juice, shake it up, put it in a glass. It's delish. Always a good time for a margarita. Indeed. Before we jump in with the fostering content, I wanted to say that we're super excited that we got a sponsor for the podcast. It's going to help us pay for like the hosting fees and everything. So Audible is sponsoring us. If you want to try out Audible and get a free book, you should go through our link, audibletrial.com slash thegoldenratio, and that will help us pay for the podcast and it'll help you get a good book. Uh, if you're looking for recommendations, may GR Dad and I recommend the Chet and Bernie series. This is Spencer Quinn, and it's kind of a mystery series about a private eye and his dog written in first person from the dog. They're charming and joyful and wonderful. Uh, so yeah, Spencer Quinn, get yourself some dog mystery books, support the podcast, audibletrial.com slash ratio. So, yeah, fostering dogs. Uh, we have fostered, I think, 14 dogs, and we failed on Queso Maggie and Jasmine, and then one other dog, Goldie, um, who passed away two weeks after we got her, I think two days after we officially adopted her. Yeah, and failing at fostering means you keep the dog. Yeah, so the dog wins, but you do not adopt the dog out to someplace else. Um but a bunch of you have asked about, you know, what it's like to foster a dog and what the process is like, so we thought we'd talk about it. So we foster with great, our local Golden Retriever Rescue Group. There's two R's in there, which is why I say it like that. I think of it as more like Tony the Tiger, lots of R's. It's great. Golden Retriever Rescue Education and Training is what that stands <laughs> for. Um, they are the Golden Retriever Rescue Group for the kind of D.C. metro area. So they cover Maryland and Virginia, a little bit out into West Virginia. Uh, you have a local Golden Retriever Rescue Group wherever you are. So if you just kind of Google your county or your nearest big city or your state, you will find one. They're all over the country. And Jen is very species-focused, but there are all sorts of rescue for all sorts of species. Breed-focused. Though there are spe breeds. different species, too. Yes. There different are bird rescues. folks for different breeds. Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, basically any breed you care about, there's rescue groups for. Mm. And then, you know, obviously plenty of places to find mixed breeds, too. And a lot of the breed groups will take in mixed breeds sometimes. So we've had, like, some golden doodles come through the golden retriever group that so we've never fostered them. Um, so the way that the fostering works generally is that we get dogs into foster either through shelters, like if someone gives them up, but more often directly from families who are giving the dogs up. And for whatever reason, they don't want the dog anymore. They will call the rescue group and hand the dog over. A lot of times they make a donation, but not always. And the donation helps pay for their vet bills. I would say a lot of the dogs come in because people get them as puppies. 
and they're adorable. And then they stop being adorable puppies after a few months, and then they're just dogs. <laughs> and people get tired of them, and they didn't realize, like, oh, these dogs are crazy for three years and excitable. Yeah, and we've had a, f- quite a few where people have moved into non-dog places and had to give up their dogs. I think this is an excuse. Well, perhaps. Right? Like, I, I mean, I get that people have to move, but if we had to move, even when we were in apartments... I have moved when I was in an apartment, and priority number one over everything else was dogs are allowed in the apartment. Uh, Divorces will result in dogs being given up, sometimes illnesses. When I started, I like to think like, oh, it's a lot of like, oh, the owner died and no one can take them, and that happens occasionally, but that's maybe 5%. Usually it's people who don't want the dogs anymore. Um, Sometimes the dogs are old. And they don't want them anymore. But a lot of time, it's just, we're too busy. We don't have time for the dog is the most common excuse. Yeah, and that, those are the good sort of semi-responsible owners. I mean, some of these dogs are just abandoned. Yeah, the very first dog that we got, uh, who I named Chloe because we didn't know what her name was, somebody threw her out of a moving car. And the person who was like driving behind them saw it happen and like picked her up and I think brought her to a shelter and the shelter gave her to the rescue, but she got a really bad head injury and she was old. She was like 12. And so it became really clear. Like she wasn't really functioning anymore. She just walked in circles, left-handed circles over and over again and couldn't really engage. And so we ended up having to put her down, which was like a really rough first experience, but there are assholes who do stuff like that. And we get those dogs in um, and Maggie and Jasmine, you know, were not treated quite as badly, but their owners just moved away and left him in the yard and a neighbor found him. Yeah. So we're, we're a bit judgy of people who give up their goldens to rescue organizations, but it is still responsible and you're still making sure the dogs get a home. Yeah. It's better than like leaving them in the woods or throwing them out of a car, throwing them out of a car. Yeah. And it, look, there are some situations where like stuff happens and you have to not have the dog anymore but it's very rarely a situation where you go oh that's tragic they really could not keep the dog it's Mm. usually oh they just don't want to have a dog anymore so anyway for whatever reason people give their dogs into rescue and basically the dogs go directly from the house where they were living with their people to the foster home uh they don't get boarded they don't go someplace else Uh, We have transporters who will pick the dogs up, get the paperwork signed from the people giving them up, and then bring them directly to the foster's house. Occasionally, they'll spend a night at the vet um, if the timing just doesn't work with the fosters, but usually they come directly from one place to another, so that means they are super freaked out when they show up at the foster's house because they have left the house that they've lived in for their whole life and are now in this new weird place. With some other dogs, Hopper and Vink. Yeah, a lot of the time with other dogs. Uh, I remember actually when I was looking for getting another dog, I think maybe even before Kay died, so my previous dogs, I went and visited and there was a foster house and I went and visited a dog there that I was interested in. And I think they had four or five Goldens, (laughs) including the fosters. And I was... And I was like, these people are crazy. I cannot imagine having this many dogs in the house. And their house was like 
five times the size of our little house. So. I think we're laughing about that. Oh, she, she has four or five. All these people who foster dogs have <laughs> all these failed dogs. It's ridiculous. Those people are crazy, and now we're totally those people. Uh, but yeah, so they come to the house, and this is where you have important step number one, which is introducing the foster dogs to the dogs that currently live at the house. And this is good advice. Whenever you're introducing a new dog, even if it's like for a play date, if you're dog sitting, if you're getting a new puppy, uh, we always kind of follow the same process. So first, so we have a fenced yard, which makes this easier, but you can do it in a kind of neutral location. You don't want to bring the new dog just into your house. You definitely want to do it outside where there's a lot of space. And if you have a fenced yard, that's great. Uh, so we do it where we bring the new dog into the backyard, let them off the leash. The, our backyard's obviously entirely fenced. And so we just let them wander around, smell everything, kind of get a sense of the space before anything else. And then once they seem sort of relaxed in the backyard after like five or 10 minutes, then we'll bring out the other dogs. Now that's more of a process now. Um, but even when we had hops and Vink one at a time, first hopper, then Vinkman, and give them a chance to meet each other. And generally it's best to do that with all the dogs on leashes. So put the new dog on a leash, put hops on a leash. So if anybody gets freaked out, you can pull them away from each other before anything bad happens. And it's super important to watch the dog's body language. Obviously if like the fur on the back of their neck goes up, you want to keep them apart for a while. Um, but even if a dog is looking like sort of edgy or nervous, you want to give them some space and really just let them take their time. Fortunately, Hops and Vink are like super empathetic. And so they're very good about giving space to the new dogs and introducing themselves. Yeah. The only thing is that Hopper especially gets excited sometimes and tries to jump up or tries to play right away. And there's, you just never know how a dog that's freaked out will take that. Yeah. you. It has fortunately been pretty fine for us every time, mm -hmm. but uh, you want to give them that time. And then if they introduce to each other and are okay, then we let them off the leash because that allows them to kind of figure out their own space and introduce themselves and kind of move around. And we usually let them spend about half an hour in the backyard, kind of moving around, getting a feel for each other. Uh, we'll keep the door to the house open. So if the new dog wants to come into the house, they can come in and we have a split screen to the back backyard. So basically you can open the door and there's like a screen that just hangs down and the dogs can push through the middle and it's got magnets that holds it closed. So it lets us keep the door open in the summer. And then the foster dogs are always completely perplexed <laughs> by this. Uh, the guy, there's one guy with our rescue group, Art, who I mentioned in our a previous episode uh he's brought us tons of dogs that we fostered and he got to the point where he's like let's see if they'll figure out this green door because they're always like what is this craziness <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting because the front door has a screen door that's just a normal screen door so the dogs should not push through that should not stand up on that but the back screen they have to they can walk through so it's you know Pretty, I think they're very smart to figure that out. Yeah, we sometimes have to hold it open for the first couple <laughs> well, of days. Yeah. <laughs> they always figure it out. Um, but once they are really comfortable in the backyard, then we'll let them come inside. And uh, and hopefully at that point, it's been half an hour, 45 minutes, so they're a little bit calmer. And uh, we let them come in, and they'll sometimes have a drink and, and lay down. I would say for half the dogs we get, we end up having to give them Xanax the first night because they're really freaked out. 
a lot of times they won't eat for the first night or two, which is okay. Like, it's just because they're stressed. They won't starve themselves to death. And uh, we're not actively fostering anymore, but when we were, we would keep um, canned food on hand because that was easier to get them to eat than the regular dry food. It was very popular. Yeah, all the dogs want some of that. Um, and yeah, and then we would keep them separate for a while until we were really sure that they were comfortable with each other. So when I would go to work, we would keep the foster dogs in my office, which has a baby gate. That's where Jasmine eats now. So if you've seen her kind of locked up, uh, that's because she gets distracted and wanders away from her food. But the baby gate is there so we can kind of keep dogs separated uh, when we have to. And we've had some of the dogs in a, in a crate, if, especially if they were used to a crate before. That's sort of their own safe space. Yeah, the crate's good, especially when you don't know how well housebroken they are, which happens sometimes, because uh, I don't want them peeing on the nice rug that I have in my office, so we'll crate them at night. And that, you know, plenty of dogs don't like the crate, but that has worked for everybody, except Harley, our foster dog, oh. who, uh, he's the only foster that we didn't end up fostering to completion. Like we, a truly failed foster. Yeah, yeah uh, he... He is one of the few dogs whose owner, I don't know if the owner died or had to go into like hospice or something, but it was an end of life issue with the owner. And it sounded like the owner had some kind of mental illness and there is a, a really strong bond between the owner and the dog. Uh, not that you need a mental illness to have a strong bond, but they, they were together kind of all the time, 24 hours a day. And Harley was just completely freaked out snapped at hops a couple times and when we crated him because we couldn't have him out at night because we didn't know if they were going to get in a fight he barked all night and i would go down and check on him in the crate and you could see in his eyes like he didn't even know what was happening he was just in a panic he bent the like metal bars of the crate trying to chew his way chew out. his way out it was terrible and so we ended up having him and this is with xanax and with you know, all the love and all the pets and everything oh, yeah. we could give him, yeah. He he was just completely panicked. Um, and because he was not... It's not that he was an aggressive dog. He just didn't like Hops and Venk getting up in his face, and they were trying to engage him. And because there was, like, this tension, we ended up giving him over to another foster home. We arranged that with the rescue. Uh, and that foster home didn't have any dogs. And they ended up adopting him. Like, properly failed fostering him, so it worked out okay. <laughs> Failing upwards. Failing up. Um, but generally, with that one exception, we keep him in the crate, usually just for a couple nights until all the dogs get really comfortable with that, with each other, and we can trust that they're not going to have any battles, and then we leave them out. Or accidents in the house. Yeah, and I think, fortunately, all of our fosters have been properly housebroken, even the outside ones. Hopper's been the worst of all of them, <laughs> frankly. Hopper sometimes poops in the basement when uh, she has needs. And, uh, yeah. Geez. Anyway. Uh, yeah, this is, people, this is a benefit of adopting a rescue dog is that they're usually housebroken. And so you can get, like, a one-year-old golden retriever from a rescue group who's housebroken and knows basic commands, and then you don't have to do that with a puppy, which is pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, the other advantage is that the... Rescue group will describe the dog for you. Usually on the website, you can so you can get a little preview. It's not like going to a shelter where you don't know anything about the dog. So so this will already have a 
uh, description of the characteristics and whether they're good with kids and dogs and cats and things. Yeah, so that's part of the process. So once we get them, uh, our rescue group requires us to keep them for two weeks. And during that time, you take them to the vet. We make sure that they get all their shots. And if they have any medical issues, the rescue group takes care of that. So uh, all of our dogs, and I think for most rescue groups, the dogs have to be fixed before they get adopted out. So if they're not, we get them fixed. If they have heartworm, we treat them for heartworm. Whatever diseases or problems they have, uh, those get fixed when they're in foster. And you can't adopt them out until those health problems are fixed. And so that's great. And sometimes the rescue will spend thousands and thousands of dollars treating dogs that come in. And the majority of dogs come in with some sort of problem or another. Um, they get fixed in more ways than one. Yeah, that's right. Um, I would say half of the dogs come in where we actually need to get them spayed or neutered. And then almost all of them come in with fleas and tick-borne diseases because the people who are giving them up it's not like one day they decided that this dog was too much like they've been kind of neglecting the dog in one way or another for a while so they usually have been put outside and not given their medicine and so we usually have to do some kind of treatment for that yeah we're lucky that we have an awesome vet a couple of awesome vets for the for the dogs if you're in maryland north laurel animal hospital in laurel which i used to live across the street from and now drive quite a ways to go visit uh our vet there is amazing and has taken care of all of our foster dogs and, and really does a good job uh helping us out with them so yeah in that two weeks you do all of the medical care that they need and if that means you have to keep them longer than two weeks you do uh which sometimes happens especially we haven't had any heartworm positive dogs but that takes a long time and is a lot of work because you you have to keep them basically crated the whole time because they can't move around. And so all of that treatment gets done. But then you also kind of assess them behaviorally. So would they be good with babies, right? If a baby's like yanking on their ear or like I did as a baby and got bit because of was pulling on the tongue of my golden retriever when I was a kid and she chomped me on the face, which I totally deserve. Checks out. Uh, yeah. You know, will they do that? If so, you don't want to adopt them out to a house with little kids. Uh, do they pull really hard on a leash? What kind of commands do they know? Can they go upstairs? Do they bolt right out of the door if they happen to find it? Yeah, uh, which we had a couple of them do. The, the second, I guess the third foster we had, Maddie, she did that on the first day. She like bolted out a tiny little gap in the front door. Oh my God, like right across the street, some nice lady who was running grabbed her for me. But she almost escaped yeah and we're not used to that from from ours who are kind of respectful of the door and just are looking around most of the time yeah some dogs are fence jumpers thankfully we haven't fostered any of those but uh that's all stuff you want to know do they need a yard would they be good with another dog or not and some of it's a judgment call but the last boy that we had was one where somebody who didn't have a dog wanted him, and I really thought that he should be in a house with another dog, like he really needed a pal. And we ended up sending him, so now he's got Brew Brew, <laughs> uh, his foster brother, who he like fell in love with, like literally on our first visit, he was like resting his head on that guy, and it was clear that like this is where he had to go. So you figure all that out in the two weeks that you have them. And then with our group, the process is after you've had them for two weeks, you write up a description of them with all this stuff that we just talked about and kind of what you think would be the ideal house. Uh, the rescue group sends that out and puts it on the website and then people get in touch if they're interested in the dog 
And usually we have had mostly youngish dogs, you know, four years old, five years old. We've had a few other seniors, but mostly not old dogs, which are really attractive, right? Because you get them and they've passed the kind of crazy puppy stage, but they're still got a lot of time left. And there's sometimes where it's like, I'll send it out and the rescue group will send it out in the evening. I'll go to bed and I'll wake up to like 50 messages from people <laughs> who want the dog. Uh, and the people who are going to adopt the dog all have to be vetted by the rescue group. So they get a home visit. They have references checked. It's like a month long process to get approved. And so I'll go through and kind of look at the messages. I will request reports from the rescue group about, you know, what do they look like? What's their experience with dogs? What's their house like? And, uh, and then pick a few and, I, with the first dog that I fostered, I said, oh, here's five people who emailed me. I'll take her to see all five. And I drove around all freaking weekend taking that <laughs> dog places. And it was clear, like, the first place we went is the place that she totally should go. Like, she went into that house, got up on the couch, laid down with their, like, seven-year-old, watched TV. Like, she just had always lived there. And there were some other great houses that she went to, but she clearly belonged in that house. In fact, one of the houses I took her to are the people that we gave the next foster to. Cause I was like, they were so great. I bet they would be perfect for this foster. <laughs> and, and they got her. Um, but after driving around to five houses, I realized that the thing they tell you is true, which is your foster dogs will tell you exactly which house they should go to. It's really easy to tell, like they go in and they're completely at home or they're not. And I thought that that was a bunch of BS. when <laughs> They told me that I'm like, whatever, <laughs> like you just pick. But Every dog we have adopted, it's been like that. You know, sometimes they're still a little nervous because they're visiting a new place. But every one, it's been like, oh, this dog feels completely at home with these people. And sometimes it's one person. One of the dogs we had, like, they had a... Everybody has to be at home to meet the dog when you come visit. Like, this is one of the rules. So if they have kids, the kids all have to be there. You know, if there's two adults living in the house, both of them have to be there to meet the dog. And there was one house we went to and they had two teenage boys, both in high school. And the older one, who I think was 17, maybe he's a junior or a senior, like he came down in the living room and he's like, yeah, hey. And then like went back upstairs, right? He did not want anything to do with it. And the dog followed him upstairs and went into his room and the kid's like sitting at his desk and the dog like laid down next to him and was like, cool, this is my person now, uh, which was awesome. And the parents were like, oh my God, like... He's like, doesn't want to talk to anybody ever. And now he's like bonding with this dog upstairs. And I was like, cool, you may keep this dog. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So since I figured out that the dogs kind of pick that, I'll kind of do one person at a time. And so, you know, I'll get a bunch of reports and then I'll take what I think is the most promising house and bring the dog for a visit. And, uh, if it works, then they get to keep the dog. And if it doesn't, I say, well, you know, I've, I've told a few other people that I'm going to visit and I'll try a couple other ones. And, uh, it always works out pretty well. But it isn't fun to tell people who want a dog and who may really like that dog that they can't have that dog. So no. Not going to five houses is also easier. Yeah, that first time when I went to the five houses, there was one family we visited, and they were just not a right fit. Like, that dog pulled like insane pulling. It took all of my force to keep her from dragging me over. And they had two... I think eight or nine year old boys 
And when we were doing the home visit, the boys were like, hey, can we take the dog down to see our friends? And they're like, sure, go ahead. And I was like, that dog will pull these kids over any second. And I had told them that she was a bad puller. And they were just like, oh, yeah, the boys can take her down. I was like, yeah, no, they 100% will not. And then I was like, how can I get out of here? Because this is clearly not the right fit. And they were devastated that they didn't get her. And they emailed me and they were kind of upset about it. And I understand, right? Like they liked her and wanted her. Uh, but that's another reason not to go to too many places to kind of try one at a time. But it is hard to tell people no. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when you adopt them out, I mean, one reason that I, I resisted fostering is that I was like, well, I'm afraid I'm going to keep them all, which I guess has kind of happened because <laughs> we have five. More lately. More lately. Um, but, you know, I have always tended to think of it like I'm dog sitting, intense dog sitting for two or three weeks. Uh, where I don't, I intentionally don't bond with the dogs like they're my own. I give them a ton of love and they get a lot of affirmations like you've seen me do with Schmeeg, a lot of reassurance and care, but I don't treat them like, okay, we're bonded now, except for Maggie and Jasmine because they showed up here and I knew that they were going to stay. Yeah, it's easier to have the mindset that we're just preparing them, finding them a a, their right place which right? is like such a great thing to do for them right to be like i am gonna find you the absolute 100 percent best home that will give you exactly what you need that will make you the happiest dog that you can be for the rest of your life like that is an awesome thing to do and uh so yeah i cry when i would drop most of them off at their new permanent homes but i knew that it was like exactly the right place for them which was pretty good yeah, and it, it works except for the last the last three. The last three. Uh, but Queso is a special case, right? I mean, obviously, like, she's great now and she has bonded with us. But it was more like this poor dog isn't going to pick a place that she wants to go. Like, she's completely freaked out and she's ancient, right? She's so old. Nothing is going to make it okay. And so what's the best option for her? It's not oh, find the perfect place because there's not a perfect place where she's going to be like, oh, great, like, this is wonderful. I live here. It's, you know, we need to get her to feel like her life is okay. And we did a good job. Yeah, she was a different kind of project. Yeah, the first one we had like that. But yeah, other than the last three, Queso and Maggie and Jasmine, mm -hmm. uh, we did adopt one other dog that we fostered. Her name was Goldie. She was 13 or 14 also, I think, really old. Um, she had like these magical ears that would like stick out like horizontally from her head and flop down. They look kind of like airplane wings. And, uh, and she actually had like a special extra bonus because my very first dog, I was born into the life of this dog. She was a year older than me. Her name was Goldie. And so, uh, I still have dreams about original Goldie in my life. And so I was like, Ooh, Goldie number two. And, uh, she was a super sweet dog and she fit in here. And, uh, and so we decided to keep her and it was clear, like she definitely had some issues. She had been really neglected and she obviously didn't have a ton of time left. And so it was like, cool, like let's give her the best kind of end of life that we can. We gave her her first like peanut butter Kong, her first snacks and we adopted her and she was fine. She, uh, you know, she had like normal old dog issues and we adopted her on a Friday, and then on Saturday she wouldn't eat, 
and on Sunday she was all kind of bloated and couldn't stand up. And so she had uh, hemangiosarcoma, which is one of these cancers that literally like will crop up in two days and your dog will be fine. And then two days later, they're all kind of filled with fluid. And so, uh, yeah, we had to put her down two days, two days after we adopted her. Um, there's nothing you can really do once they get that. And so, yeah, we thought she would, I was thinking like three months and we got a couple days, but yeah, I mean, that's the problem with dogs. They don't outlive us. Yeah, I think her previous owners had brought her to the vet to put her down because they just didn't want to deal with her anymore. And the vet refused, and so they gave her up to rescue. And I don't know, if it hadn't been for... She did not have that cancer at the time because we checked her for it. And it's just kind of cruel fate that it only was a couple weeks later. That's not what her people were thinking. They were just tired of dealing with an old dog. Um so yeah, that's the fostering process. So it's a good way to audition dogs if you want to adopt one because you can kind of try them out and see how they fit in your house and your life. And if they don't feel like the right fit for you, you get to do this amazing thing for them and find them a good home. And if they do fit, you have found your dog. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's right. pretty awesome. So German word of the week. Have we done Glubschaugen? I did Glubschaugen on the last one. That's Vink having some drinks in the background, by the way. Veterinarian is easy. Tierarzt, which is animal doctor. Yeah. Ich bringe Vink zum Tierarzt, weil sie so seltsam ist. Vink, do you want to go to the vet? Vink says no. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. She is strange. All right. Tierarzt it is. This is Vink trying to dig a hole into her bed. She does that before she lies down sometimes. Yep, she does it on our bed too. She also nibbles the bed. <laughs> She's a very strange creature. She is Vink. <laughs> All right, well, I guess that's it for Foster Dog episode. If you want to get in touch with us, we are the Golden Ratio 4 on pretty much every social media platform that you're interested in. And that's it. We'll be back next week. Thanks. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.